So tell us what's going on in Salt Lake City. Matt, I've uh, never been so excited for the community here in Salt Lake. Um, I think I and, and many others I'm associated with uh, have a pretty bold vision for the community. And we're watching the, the seeds been planted, you know, and the true leaves are, are starting to come out a little bit. And now it's more a matter of, uh, you know, not tripping or kicking it. <laughs> you know, we got to take good care of this thing. But it's, uh, it's past that stage of just like a thought. And we're actually watching community come together um, with this real emphasis on resilient communities and healing the planet around us and learning to live and govern ourselves in such a way that honors the the planet and uh, and it's really really quite exciting kind of an alternative vision that you don't see uh, talked about much on on the mainstream paradigm but uh, it's pretty exciting to see what's going on out here yeah it seems like in permaculture there's a huge emphasis on um, going and creating something separate from our current culture, current communities, current cities, current suburbs, and it's this homestead or it's this eco village. But what you're doing instead is creating resilient community structures within our current communities. And I think that's critical. You know, my wife and I had the privilege of spending uh, six months on an off grid farm um, three years ago and got to live alongside a river and, you know, perfect air and perfect water and solar. And there was holistic management of, of cattle and, and chickens and greenhouses. And it was very idyllic, but so many of our skill sets, um, there's just something calling us to, to have this happen in the cities and in the urban setting. Um, you know, this really is, uh, it's important that we know that the tangible skills to, to heal the planet and, and feed ourselves and work together, but there's also a need for a cohesive vision uh, within communities all over the place. And if you can do it in an urban city, I mean, as you know, there's endless amounts of resources in a city. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of waste streams that could be getting composted or utilized uh, to create resilient systems. And I think that being in the city, something about that's really called to, to my heart, you know, to make sure that there's a good, good way forward here. And I think a lot of people are called to do something in cities. And I think there's a lot of frustration because they feel like there's no good model that they know of yet. And so this is why I'm really excited to talk about the specifics of what you did with your, within this community, what the community has done to, to facilitate these changes and resilience, because it's not just one, one thing. I mean, you've got these guilds, you've got the Salt Lake City Air Protectors, which is a 501, uh, 501c3, right? Sure is. <laughs> so, but, but you've, got, you've got these structures and they're all collaborating. And I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm just gonna do this thing and it's gonna work and it's just this one thing. But it's this, that, that homestead mentality or that like eco-village, that one stop, one solution, silver bullet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what you all are doing is progressively growing, just like any natural secessional system would. So I'm totally excited for you to, you know, go over the history, how this came to be. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've had it on my uh, vision board for a while now of this idea of community farming and politics. And you could use a lot of different names for it. You know, we've got our specific, um, set of entities that have come forth under that model. But 
um, it is all connected. I, I find myself segmented into a lot of different projects, but there's this common theme of raising consciousness towards regeneration. And uh, within that framework, we started, uh, my wife and I started facilitating the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild as soon as we got back from that off-grid farm. So we've been meeting every Monday for uh, over three years now where we potluck and we have a different community presenter, a different topic each week. And we're really uh, taking it upon ourselves in a very grassroots way to uh, learn and educate each other and also come together and do service projects to help each other start gardens, kind of like you know, the Amish might do with a barn raising or something. So that kind of provided the, the baseline pulse for the community to, to rally around these, these earth healing systems. And um, very shortly after we started the group, um, the Standing Rock protests uh, started happening in uh, the Dakotas. And many of us actually went out there uh, to, to witness and support um, that powerful, prayerful example of people coming together in defense of a place, in, de in defense of a land that they love and felt threatened by the extractive industries from the fossil fuels and the, and the pipeline they were facing. So when we went out there, they had a great orientation, you know, about, um, you know, how to respect the culture and, and the Native Americans that have come together to support that. And then they also said, bring that energy to your backyard. You know, if you've got issues that uh, need to be handled, and you know, here in Salt Lake City, we get these really terrible winter inversions where the geography of the land just traps all the pollution, sometimes for multiple weeks on end, and everything that we're putting out in our tailpipes, from our home emissions, from the refineries that we haven't been able to get all out of our valley, it all gets trapped in there. We're breathing it. Um, 2,000 people a year are dying prematurely from the air quality issues we have here. Um, you know, people are stressing, there's, you know, pregnant women, children, elders, they should really be wearing air masks on some of these days if they want to keep their health intact. And uh, that's not a way that we want to live. And it's a direct um, manifestation of the kind of paradigm that says we can continue to just focus on economic growth and industrial growth without balancing the health of our communities and our planet. So um, very quickly upon returning, um, we connected with uh, some several of the Native American activists and leaders here in the community and said, should we start the SLC Air Protectors and do something about our air? And uh, Carl Moore, who's a Hopi Native, very active um, activist and incredibly inspirational fellow, we decided to co-found the, the organization, and that was just over two years ago. And so that's a Native-led uh, organization, uh, half our board are, are Native American, and Everything that we put out, our programs, our, our major announcements um, is, is in with our Native American leadership to figure out what the best way is to get their incredibly important voice and paradigm to the table in a very honored way. And we're really seeing that, you know, our uh, ability to spread messages and to organize um, has been um, really quite powerful for the Valley. And it's, it's wonderful to be in a position. I'm not Native. I'm a white person, um, Swedish, you know, is my background, um, but it's an honor to be able to help shuffle papers around and keep that organization moving smoothly so that we can elevate this message of, hey, we're living on a living conscious planet that we um, have a responsibility to, to respect and to work with uh, for a, a future that's going to be good for us, good for seven generations, good for the kids coming down the road. So, you know, it's great to be in Utah where we've got this conservative, uh, you know, roots and kind of a, an interesting heritage of conflicts of forces, you know. Um, but I think that we're living in a place where it's just small enough 
that really important things can, can shift on a dime and it can really show a light for the rest of the world on what's possible even within a conservative community. I mean, it's in the winter time when these inversions hit and it's the one time of the year where everybody's looking up and wondering what the heck is wrong with our environment, you know, and it's just this awesome, awesome mirror and a chance for us to reflect on, you know, how are we honoring our resources? So um, that formed. And then on top of the air protectors, which I view as kind of the, the politics of the community, um, we have the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild, which is kind of the, the earth stewards of the community and how we uh, run our acre community farm that's actually located behind a Krishna temple. So there's all these different cultures coalescing here. And at that same Krishna temple, there's this awesome ecstatic dance community that meets uh, twice a week. And they come together for three hours with sober, no video, no photo, just this chance to let loose all of your, you know, whatever's going with you and kind of having this, this ritualistic community uh, ceremony to, uh, to bond and to, and to feel good and to be in a supportive uh, network. And of course, they love to come out and help in the garden. Um, they're the main customers of our CSA, so they're eating this delicious food. Um, there's daycare, so there's kids coming twice a week as well, and they get a chance to come hang out in the garden and learn and, and feel that enthusiasm that we all share for this community. And so I'm watching that that like vision that's been on my vision board for a couple of years of farming, community, and politics all just underneath the same roof and starting to spread. And we're like, gosh, every neighborhood deserves a place like that that they can walk to you know, within walking distance and experience that and have that support. So, God, I mean, just, it's really amazing. All the ingredients are on the table. It's just a matter of how good we can, we can cook up a good batch of some earth healing and some, and some celebration with the community at this point. Amazing. I see you all as this facilitative, you know, fungal mycelial network that you're taking, you know, parts of our culture that, you know, in other times and other places, are, are not finding beneficial connections all the time and haven't at all the time through history, sadly. But you're creating these, these honoring and, and, and just, it's amazing. It's really, really powerful. And I mean, I've been asked to, to dive into certain things um, with Native American communities and I've always, um, I've always like offered my stuff, but then always said, but you know, you already have permaculture and you already have all, you know what I mean? You have your history and everything. And I've wanted to learn from them, you know what I mean? And it is so exciting to see that happening, not in just the, the, uh, the community, you know, the Lakotas, and, uh, but, but everywhere, all across North America, and I, and I believe in a lot of indigenous areas all over the world right now, there's this recognition happening. And it's because organizations like yours where we're providing, facilitating ways that, that those voices can be heard and shared and honored. Because most of us never grew up hearing those voices and not having the, the pieces and the facilitation, if we did, to even understand that. Yeah. So it's so incredible right now, so incredibly important right now to have these conversations. It is. I really love what uh, Charles Eisenstein says. Um, 
he's uh, he's like the most important thing that these Native American cultures and people can can do for us is really just to be themselves. You know, as we're watching this dominant paradigm of exploitation and dominance over nature and separation and selfishness, um, we're starting to watch that dissolve. And in that process of almost embarrassment for what we've done to the planet in the process of our so-called progress, um, we're being called to listen to the stories of cultures that are traditionally far closer to the reality of a living planet and this, this idea of reciprocity and stewardship. And it's like, obviously every person, you know, came out of the womb, you know, capable of being loved and showing love. And I know that we're all capable of returning to that place individually, but as dominant cultures are colliding, you know, we're very drawn right now to cultures that have that much closer uh, within more recent memory, that, that ability to live in harmony with the planet and have respect on that level. And so, you know, again, another huge opportunity being in Utah, um, we have the, the Bears Ears uh, monument that has been a major issue of, of political contention because, you know, there's groups like Utah Dene Bakea, which are, are big uh, partners of ours. We really love their work. They're all dedicated towards honoring that sacred space, Bears Ears. And uh, we got to go down there last summer for one of their gatherings and uh, worked with one of their uh, the, um, gentlemen from the uh, Indigenous Activist Food Network. Um, did foraging and we learned so much about that landscape you know there's so much abundance of, of food and history of how to steward a landscape uh, sustainably um, and it's great to be able to be in that space to elevate again those voices and to see the, the dialogue coming out of you know is this just a place to pull more resources out of you know and pull out more uranium and coal or is this a place that we can actually learn from to, to model for the future of, of humanity and you know, I think we're really at a, at a huge crossroads point, Matt, and I don't know what it is about 2019, but it feels like there's a level of seriousness um, amongst uh, forward-thinking people that it's, it's not really much time for discussion at this point. I think it's hard to find the words always to put your finger on exactly what we're doing and what this is all about, because you know, and that's okay that it's, it's hard to define sometimes, right? It allows for all of our individual voices to come forth and interpret in our own ways with our heart and with our enthusiasm to, to, to lay these pathways forward in the space between this old paradigm and this new paradigm that's, that's emerging that I feel very honored to be a part of here in Utah, getting to watch it come onto the, onto the forefront. So, um, yeah, I completely agree with you that uh, these, these voices are, are important to hear. And, you know, I always like to think about us, uh, you know, what uh, what the mamos call the little brother or younger brother. Um, we, uh, we're kind of second generation colonialists, right? Like people from England and Sweden, which is my lineage, you know, first felt the, the heavy weight of colonialism under Rome. And I know that's kind of a strange tangent to, to go on, but it's like, you know, before Rome hit, most of us were living with, with sacred groves and with, with rituals and ceremonies that were tied to the natural patterns of the landscape and, and the, the passing of the seasons. And there was a, a respect for place. And when Rome came through, not only did they bring, um, you know, kind of that Christian one way of being spiritually, but they also brought a way of agriculture that would um, take out the traditional, more perennial-based systems that were uh, based and instead, you know, started investing heavily in annuals and corn and, and systems to, to to spread their dominance and so you know we come today and it's like yeah we also are feeling the pain of this 
um, homogenized way of, of trying to colonize the planet and just look at things in one way. And we both know if we use nature as our template, um, that diversity is 100% key and, and localization. What is right for one place is not right for another. And we have to start to tap in, get away from our left brain systemic reductionist. There's only one way to do certain things and it all needs to be predictable. That's not how nature works. And we've got to rise to the occasion, I think, and be willing to tap into that, uh, the, the, just the infinite expressions of nature and learn how to observe and respect that. I feel like, absolutely. And I feel like I was writing down, like as you were talking, and uh, earlier I wrote down farming is political, right? But then as you were talking, I, I continued that same pattern. And I was like, you know, the, the reality is everything social, everything community is political. And then when you really are honest with yourself, it's like everything indigenous is too. Every, and, it, and it always has been. And, and especially in America. And when you dive into the politics, it is brutal. It is shocking. And it, it is... It, yeah, it kind of takes the wind out of you. And so wilderness, wildness, these things are political hot buttons and they're actually tied up. Even nature is a political hot button, but it's all tied up in taboos in our society, in our political sphere, in our social spheres that we just don't talk about. I mean, you know, the, the wild is, is dangerous. It's like we don't talk about like bringing the wild, like people like get so upset when people talk about bringing the wolves because they're like, well, they're wolves. Didn't you remember the big bad wolf? That's a taboo. I was taught that from my youngest age. And we're coming to, we're, we're, re, we're basically coming up against our social taboos. We're coming up against the fact that like, oh, you're not supposed to talk about politics. It's rude. And it's like, oh yeah. well, then how are we supposed to make any political change? And if politics are the bridge between the, what society wants and our, uh, the way we govern our society, then that should be this healthy, like, like, like circulatory system that is cycling through just like any ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But instead it's like, no, 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 it's taboo. And, <laughs> and we, I mean, people keep saying the emperor wears no clothes. I mean, like, that's a great book. That's a great concept. Um, and I think that, you know, the cannabis, um, realization we've had in the past 20 years is a great example. But even today, you look at East Coast publications and they're like, well, marijuana is just as dangerous as, as it ever was. And it's like, are you people like, like, what are you people like actually on? Like, like what prescription yeah. drugs are you people on? Because people are curing their children of brain cancer. People are curing people of bone cancer. People are reversing, you know, death sentences with a plant that can grow in their back yard yep yep and and, you know, and it's like we, we're at this point where the taboos the things that we thought were the greatest dangers are actually the things that we need in our lives to survive it's this crazy thing and so yeah it's it's, this is the year that we really need to just pull all the veils off. We, this is the year that we need to get out of this psychological closet that we've put ourselves in and shamed ourselves in. And we need to come out and say, like, we love each other. We want to be loved. And, like, that's really, I think, what's going on. I think mm -hmm. 
caged right. life, you know? It's, it's just a caged life and they need to come out. And so I feel like you're facilitating this liberation and this growth through this and the growth that you've seen in the guilds. I mean, you, you said you started you know, the Salt Lake City Guild, but what happened with that? It turned into many guilds, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we now have four active guilds and there's more coming. So Ogden's going for it. We've got one on the north end of Salt Lake. Uh, another woman is starting next week, one in the Sugar House area, which will be great. Um, and it's, it's a remarkable um, way. And, you know, it's really true to the original vision that Bill Mollison had for permaculture, too, is the spreading of self-organizing permaculture guilds to train and work with one another to get these get these skill sets and uh, I really envision a future and again I've got a pretty bold vision but you've got to shoot for the stars or you know this is the wrong line of work right but I see that every neighborhood really could deserves to have a permaculture guild and a site where they can learn and and see these things um, with you know get their hands in the dirt and actually see these processes working and support one another um, I love that uh, in your recent, you know, there's so many things that spark as you're talking here, but um, just the idea of unveiling of what's going on, I want to touch on that because I really think it's fascinating. Even the word apocalypse is actually just the unveiling of truth. And I think we live in that day and age where really the space, the internal space for each human is remarkably similar, right? And even the people that we would point our fingers at and try to to demonize, if we were in their shoes, we probably would have made very similar, if not exactly the same decisions. So I think it's um, really important that we allow for this, this unveiling, um, and that we can get past just the brand marketing and, and the dominant, you know, ideas that, you know, we have to have this endless growth and this, and this uh, global economic system that is turning ecosystems into products and community favors into paid for services, just kind of stripping all of this, you know, uh, God-given sovereignty that we were all put on this planet to express um, gets homogenized. So I also appreciate the tying to the politics. It is, as I deal with these three realms, right, this thriving community group that's based on healing and dancing and this, you know, thriving permaculture community that's all about getting their hands in the dirt. Both of those communities, traditionally, at least from my experience, are pretty shying away from, from politics, right? They don't feel like a lot can get done on that level because they've been disappointed by presidents and by administrations and by local governments time and time again. And so it's a bit of a challenge to build an approachable bridge back into that idea of politics, that idea of collective action, that idea that when you have a group of people with a similar ethics, you need to have an organizing, an organizing force that can express that on the political level so that when you're talking about building sustainable homes that are aligned with the sun, that are, you know, inspired by earthships and collecting rainwater, or, you know, you're trying to, to grow food without chemicals and, and, and have, you know, systems that are, are not the conventional way of doing it, you've got to have collective action to be able to stand up for those things. You know, and I've actually watched some success. When you get up there on the hill and you're working with these people, you actually can move the needle quite profoundly. Um, there was a bill last year called HB 181 that now allows people to uh, sell um, um, food direct to their neighbors without government intervention. So you can make the sauerkraut that I love to make, and I can now sell that legally uh, to the community. 
um, which wasn't the case last year. People were kind of doing it anyway, of course, but it's nice to have been able to talk with, with them and go up to testify on that and see that bill uh, passed. And right now, Salt Lake City is facing a major crossroads when it comes to this installing an inland port, um, which would just be just south of the Great Salt Lake and be double the footprint of downtown Salt Lake. They're talking about just this endless supply of freight containers and packaging and distributing um, consumer goods all over the planet. And it's right in the path of one of the most important uh, migratory bird habitats um, on the planet. Um, and so it, it really is a calling to question, you know, cutting right to the core of these coalescing paradigms. Um, if you want to build something that big, 17,000 square acres of just industrial parks and truck trips. And, and that breaks my heart. Um, and I'm really, it, it's nerve wracking to go up to something and say, no, you can't do this when they've already put hundreds of thousands of dollars into developments and plans and they think it's just gonna move ahead, no big deal. But like we said, you know, air quality is a major issue here in Salt Lake. And when we're out of attainment on the federal level and people are dying prematurely like this on such a large scale, how are we even at this point? How are we even having this conversation? Like, absolutely not. That is not the direction we want to move. It's fascinating. We had the Audubon Society uh, recently present at this community forum, and they showed uh, hundreds of, of bird species. Some of them, more than 50% of their population is dependent on the Great Salt Lake and its habitat. You watch the, the flow of the migration. It's like a giant hourglass. Matt, all of the birds coming up from South America are going into this hourglass shape and landing at the Great Salt Lake and then spreading out into Canada. This is their, this is their breeding grounds. They're, they're where they get their food on the way. And, um, you know, they're just talking about putting a big old industrial park in there. And uh, air protectors are not for it. And we're working with the coalition to really have a strong stance of no, uh, no to this port. And, you know, what's being asked of us is even to how to describe what a better vision would be on the table. And a lot of these uh, social structures, they don't have the vision. They don't have the North Star. They don't actually know where we want to move to. We're just still dependent on money. So yeah. I, would, I would contact Ducks Unlimited because they are one of the, one of the few organizations that I know of that has um, really dedicated themselves. And I mean, you, you, the hunters of, of North America have been responsible for more restoration of land and setting aside of land than any other group. Um, and so they've rewilded 140 million acres of wetland in North America. So I would contact them because I'm sure they'd be like, oh yeah, well, that's one of the most important. And like, they would instantly be like, well, we've got to help you. That's ours too because it's gonna affect all of, their, all of their sites along the way, because as we know, toxins are mobile. Yep, and yep. so um, we're talking about a threat to all of North America, mm -hmm. not just, because I mean, contaminants spread. Um, and then the, the, the breeding happens, and then it gets into the bloodlines, and then we, 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 we can't predict what, what can happen. So it feels like, it, it, when we are dealing with someone who's very sick, when we are dealing with someone who is, has a high fever, 
we immediately assume that they can't make good decisions. Right now, our political sphere, our culture itself is sick. It has a high fever and it's in some instances delirious and raving. And it's like, it's like how can we pause and get some sanity, get some clarity happening. And I really feel like so much of this goes into interrupting, like to go back to Charles Eisenstein, interrupting this old story, this old economy, because it's already dead. It's, it's existing on fumes and that's why it leads to extinction because it is already dead. Yep. So how, I mean, what pathways do, uh, do we have um, I mean, like we're all thinking about these kinds of things, but um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on what we should do to really revive and, and kind of prick us out of our stupor? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a great, it, it breeds compassion. It breeds empathy, right? When you, when you recognize that this old story is not really this like nefarious, yes, I want to kill all the kids and destroy the forests. Like no one's waking up like, oh gosh, I can't wait to cut down trees today, you know? Um, and I think it does breed some empathy. So it goes back to even as a kid, you know, my mom had this little sign in her kitchen that said, bloom where you're planted, you know? And that's, that stuck with me because that is when we're living in this like post-truth world, right? Which is a really hard thing to say or even admit, you know, when we look at all the you know, everything that comes up on the national level and the global level, both sides have a story. You can find endless facts and endless articles supporting either side of the story. And it's very difficult to, um, you know, really what's supposed to happen in politics is that a problem emerges, two sides might emerge or three or four, and then all of that comes together and we find a better way forward because of that conflict. But that's not happening. Instead, when those two forces come together, they're getting pushed even further away from each other with, with no real system to, to bring truth and light into it. So, you know, what I think the answer is, is what is outside our front door? What is outside our neighbor's front doors? What is outside of our community? Because that's truth. That's where we experience real authenticity is being one-on-one -on -one with each other and saying, you know, they could have all the data in the world, but when you come and see what we're doing at our farm and how it feels to be on that farm and how your body feels after you eat this food and spend time in the sunshine with us, like that's a truth that none of this shadow, none of this, uh, this global paradigm of extraction, it can't hold a candle to the kind of truth that we get to witness and experience as a community in person in this very tangible, visceral way. And again, I think that pulls us back to that conversation of watching the permaculture guilds spread and providing grassroots systems that allow people to experience and taste that truth for themselves and share that enthusiasm and that relentless optimism that comes when you're directly involved in those healing systems. Um, 
you know, I'm hearing a lot of talk about this Green New Deal, right? And I love what AOC is bringing this like great energy into the national politics. She's like the only fun thing to watch right now as she's going up against these old stories and old paradigms and we're like rooting for her, right? And, uh, you know, there's the danger, of course, with um, anything on the national level of like, are we just talking about slapping up a few solar panels or are we actually talking about systemic going deep enough to actually impact our relationship to the environment, this respect for the living planet? And what was so great about the original New Deal was the formation of the Civilian Conservation Corps that employed millions of people, healing ecology with meaningful work that helped build the infrastructure of this country. That was infinitely inspiring. And so if this Green New Deal takes light, you know, even anything on the national and even the state level can take years and years to fully form, right? And as much as we want to support that dialogue and make sure those laws pass and that people are talking about this, I think it's also critical that we have grassroots localized versions of this moving forward with or without permission from the top down, right? We need our communities to see the need for this and to start self-organizing so that there's actually a culture for the top to plug into and support when the timing and everything coalesces the way deep in our hearts we know is gonna happen, right? There's gonna be this point where it's just like the tipping point's there. We know that we need to see a, a healthier planet. We need to be providing our own food. We need to be supporting each other on the grassroots level. And, and it's getting closer and closer every day. And I think that as, again, dreaming big here, I realize it can sound grandiose if you're new to this stuff, but it's like, this is really what it's pointing to. When all the smoke and dust and mirrors finally clear, we're gonna see that that framework that permaculture provides that indigenous people have been living in for their entire culture, these truths are gonna emerge and we're gonna be getting to work and we're gonna appreciate that work because it's gonna make us feel good while we're doing it. And it's gonna give meaning to our lives instead of just this you know, consumer you know, looping systems that are, that are really, kind of wrecking things a lot. So I'm excited for this new paradigm to emerge. And I think that, you know, if we can get the right kind of support and get people turned on and learn how to communicate these ideas succinctly um, from everywhere, from kids to, to seniors, to cultures of all kinds, multiple languages, you know, and you've been a great example of that, Matt, with your educational work, you know, you've, you've gotten this translated for in, in lots of different countries with your books and you come from teaching kids, you know, gosh, it really is about the youth, right? <laughs> we have to get them plugged into these systems. What can someone do emulating what you have done in their area to start making a difference? I love it. I love it. Um, again, as much as I love the specifics of what I'm doing, I love the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild. I love the SLC Air Protectors. I love Ecstatic Dance, right? These are tangible entities that have formed and they operate within my community. But really what's important is the theme. It's the, it's the pattern, it's the space that those entities hold that is infinitely replicatable. Um, and I think that the Permaculture Guild model is incredibly infectious. Um, a lot of people are on Facebook, but a lot of people hate it. And there's people that don't even like checking their emails, right? And so I would say that anybody who's interested in community building and organizing, um, it's important to have a good pulse to it. 
So our Permaculture Guild meets every Monday night at usually the same place. We might have some field trips here and there and, and different things, but it's that repetitive nature, that pulse-like nature of the community building work that I think is, is critical. I also think breaking bread together is a really critical thing. Um, that's why we have the potlucks every time we do those Monday nights and um, whenever we have events and it's always, you know, can we get really high quality food and can we have this experience of breaking bread together? So um, I think that the Permaculture Guild model, um, you know, we're, we're not, there's no bank accounts with that. This is just people coming together um, and, and sharing the wisdom within the community and meeting regularly. And, um, you know, back to that kind of like bold vision thinking, um, I think a major crossroads for all of society right now has a lot to do with where we get our food from. And there's a major turning point right now because most of our food, as we both know, is being produced on these enormous acreage, monocropped, chemical-based systems with huge tractors, very little people, um, and, and kind of a no, no real emphasis on, on soil at all. In fact, we're stripping topsoil, and it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. We're just kind of raising these plants on, on chemicals, and we're exporting all of our agriculture, and we're not seeing the systems. And so we have a choice now to either continue that trend, which you and I both know has a dead end at some point in the future, because it's, it's the very definition of unsustainable. Um, or we can choose to have um, human-scaled, nature-healing, beyond-organic farms and gardens embedded within our communities. Um, that's, that's a major choice that's up against us right now. And, you know, I hate being against things and just to, just to protest and just to, you know, be anti-stuff. But, you know, especially like I talked about the inland port earlier and how we're needing to come out and say, no, this isn't the direction we want to go. What's so great about saying no is it leads to, well, what should we do instead? And I get to have these incredible conversations with very influential people, especially in the state of Utah here, um, about embedding these, these basically Garden of Eden style farms and gardens all throughout our communities as the appropriate alternative and the appropriate direction for our communities. And so, you know, we just had the Utah Farm Conference come through here, and that was incredible. We had Joel Salatin as one of the keynotes, which is one of my heroes in the regenerative agriculture movement. My original inspiration for getting into food systems was from Joel and from reading The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan and learning all about his farm. And, um, and we also had Singing Frogs Farm from Sebastopol, California, showing us their incredible systems where they're generating over $100,000 an acre with these human-scaled, uh, with, with hedgerows, they're bringing wildlife back, they've got 11% organic matter, they have this like paradisical and very productive and efficient, powerful farming model. Um, I just got to meet with some of the biggest players in, in local ag uh, just last night, Matt, um, or two nights ago, my bad, um, where we had farmers from Green Urban Lunchbox and Wasatch Community Gardens and, and Bug Farms and all of these great people um, come together and we're looking at these systems and we're saying, what can we adapt from the California model that will fit Utah, where we have more extreme winters, you know, there's things to adapt. But um, there was a really strong uh, feeling of hope and inspiration working with these um, excellent farmers and gardeners, many of them far more experienced even than myself, and seeing that there's this uh, receptivity and this solidarity about tapping community into this vision of let's have 
gardens and farms, you know, we did the math. And if we had a farm like the Krishna temple, about an acre, every four to eight blocks in the urban setting, um, we wouldn't be importing vegetables. We wouldn't like, we would have it all produced there and we would have the ability to shed these educational models, share compost, share wood chips, get these gardens started, get sharing produce, make all that happen. So I really think that a push for at least a localized grassroots version of the Green New Deal um, that can express itself uniquely to each community is a really great first step. And we shouldn't just be waiting for permission from the top down. And I think that through the permaculture guild models and through sharing this vision of a healing planet, um, we can achieve that. And again, big dreams, but it's all about, is it beyond us, right? Is this, is what we're doing speak to a story that can affect everybody's heart and everybody's mind and have it be just beyond individual ego or individual entities? Can we share our best practices? Can we share our enthusiasm and see these things manifest? And I, I'm really seeing it here in my community. Um, and I don't know where the rest of the world's at with it, but I think that we can share that idea, bloom where you're planted, right? If, if that was the download that the whole world got, which was wherever you are right now, whether you're renting, whether you're crammed up in an apartment, whether you're, gosh, even the even homeless, like as, as difficult as some of these challenges are. And of course, some of my experience, I don't even know where to start with some of this stuff. We're gonna run into obstacles we can't even uh, look to see yet. Like we can see some of the obstacles. We can also see there's gonna be obstacles we don't even know what they are yet, right? But there's a miracle at play. When you reach out and connect as a community, um, relationships open, opportunities open, and challenges are met in ways that you couldn't foresee also. Um, I love that analogy of the redwoods, right? Where it's not because they have these huge, deep tap roots that keep them in place. The reason the redwood ecosystem is so powerful is because they reach out and they connect their roots and hold as one organism to, to, to battle, you know, the winds and all that. They're, they're, they're willing to reach out. So I think that's huge because it's not about how deep your individual root goes. You don't have to be an expert in any one area. All you have to be willing to do is reach out and connect with your community. And that's going to provide the path forward. It's going to provide the miracles. It's going to provide the relationships that allow us to overcome these obstacles. But it does ask of us a little bit of faith. A little bit of optimism, a little bit of enthusiasm in the process is critical, critical stuff. Mm. Wow. So where can we learn more and support you in this current, this, this, this current challenge? Gosh, you know, um, again, as much as I want support, I also want you to support yourself. I want you to bloom where you're planted, right? And find these themes cultivate community farming and politics wherever you can go. I mean, but if you're from Utah, if you're looking for inspiration, you know, the SLC Air Protectors, we've got a, got a website, slcairprotectors.org. We're really active on Facebook, you know, Facebook forward slash SLC Air Protectors. Um, you can find our public group, the Salt Lake Permaculture Guild, and you can join that and see what that's all about. And, you know, an, an ecstatic dance, what I, I've been so excited to see in Salt Lake, that's a global movement, Matt. Almost every major city has an ecstatic dance. In fact, uh, you know, um, I also work in finance, which is kind of wild to have that be part of what I'm doing as well. But, you know, I just helped someone in Sebastopol, California that leads an ecstatic in that area and they're going to have us come out and teach a workshop about 
finance and about the community that we're that we're building here in Salt Lake. And it's cool to think that there's so many different entry points, right? Almost every major city already has some permaculture uh, people that are that are active. There's there's ecstatic dance communities that are active. There's there's political activism that's clearly active in most of the major cities. And so just start putting the pieces together and don't forget about your mother earth while you're doing it tie it all together you know our ecstatic dance community is kind of the coolest one because we have that acre farm you know and we're and we're really honoring that our role as a dance community is also to take care of the planet and that comes up in all our conversations and our collaborations and i think that anywhere people are meeting on a regular basis uh, in a pulse like way is a chance to also plant a garden together um, and a chance to and to incorporate those those three pillars that community that farming and that politics I think that can be birthed anywhere by anybody and we need to be doing that so yeah oh wow that's so perfect mm -hmm. mm. well thank you so much thank you Matt I really appreciate this opportunity you talked to some pretty amazing people in in the work that you've done and I just feel really honored to have a chance to share a little bit about what's going on in Salt Lake because I think it's it's replicatable and I think it's inspiring and I'm really grateful that um, whatever I've done in life has led me to this point so thank you so much for taking the time today and, and having me oh well Michael you are amazing you and Naomi are amazing. Your community is amazing. When I visited, I was really struck by the, the warmth and uh, the level of just, like they were, they were anticipating me. They were ready. It was awesome. So, so yeah, the proof is in the pudding. You've really done an amazing, amazing job with your community participating, facilitating. And I'm excited for that model to flow forward. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, man. Have a beautiful rest of your day, sir. You too.